I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. But it's definitely good to have you back, Joe. Um, God, it, it's weird. Maybe it's just that, you know, time is flowing differently in the core. But uh, it feels like last year was three years long. And uh, <laughs> God, yeah, it does. I think looking at the math, I think you were on our episode like last April. So it's been almost a year since we've talked to you through uh, through the show. Yeah, actually, the last time I, I I logged into Skype and the conversation that was up when I logged in was our conversation last time I was on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it has been a minute, as the kids say. So what are you up to, Joe? I mean, is there any uh, pop culture stuff you're doing nowadays? Anything that you're binging? Anything that you're reading? I am so I'm I think like a lot of people I'm I'm really enjoying WandaVision. I really kind of enjoying Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe taking steps into exploring genre. I really like the sitcom setup of WandaVision. I think it's well done. Um there are some pretty cool reveals that happened in the most recent episode which I'm not going to get into but um and I've been thinking a lot i i mean for the most part just kind of going back and finishing things that i had started as far as tv goes so like i I finally got a chance to finish the good place because i had only watched half of the last season and um things like that uh i went and watched all of community again i had never seen the sixth season the last season so that was cool um, I'm not, I'm probably not reading as much as I would like to. I've been playing a veritable shit ton of video games. Uh, I played all of the Yakuza games. I played Cyberpunk, which was not as bad as everybody says it was. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. So I was playing, I, I played through Cyberpunk straight through twice. I probably have 120 hours. And I made myself lend it to a friend of mine because I was like, okay, I'm going to wait to play a third time until the PS5 version comes out. And I replayed Dragon Age Inquisition. And that game is 10 years old and it has all of the exact problems. Huh. And it hmm. had all of the exact problems when it came out. Mass Effect Andromeda had all of the same problems when it came out. Like everybody that was complaining about cyberpunk it was like have you ever played a bethesda game before on launch <laughs> clearly i mean like these are all problems it has it's like yeah cd project red definitely screwed up they definitely kept things from people and i think that's the important thing they definitely knew that there were issues with the ps the base ps4 and base xbox one and that's no no good that's just some bullshit corporate you know like corporate culture, late stage capitalism, unexcusable shit right there. But the game itself 
It's good. It's a solid game. It's very solid storytelling. I think there were definitely shades of The Witcher there. For sure. And it was a world that you could take as much of as you wanted to. So if you just wanted to play straight through the story, yeah, you're going to get done real quick. But if you take your time and really explore what's going on, there were a lot of really rich and really incredibly written encounters in that game. And people, the devs are saying there's still things that people haven't found. Hmm. That, I mean, that's always kind of interesting. I've always found with these sort of open world games is how much of the surface you don't see unless you decide to play through something several times, but not only play through it several times, but play through it several times with a different mindset or a different goal. Um, there was, there's a bunch of people who do playthroughs of, of different games, whether it's fallout or whatever on, on YouTube. And one thing that I have noticed is, uh, there was one, um, one guy, he, he goes under the name many a true nerd and he will do a playthrough of, I don't know, like fallout new Vegas. And he'll have a specific goal. Like I am going to kill every character in the game that I can. He just wants to <laughs> empty the map. And the, the way that a lot of these characters operate is that they're essential to the game, which means they're unkillable until you complete all of their quests. So this guy would play through all of their quests and they'd become vulnerable. Right. And you realize then, because I've never tried to kill these people, that they have a backup plan in case you kill that person. So there's this level of the game that I'm completely unaware of because I don't think I want to kill Three Dog in Fallout 3 because I don't right. even try. But it turns yeah. out there is a backup plan. That if you kill yeah. Three Dog, there's this older lady who doesn't want to be a radio DJ you know, be begrudgingly doing that job. And there's all this dialogue that's recorded for her talking about everything that could possibly happen in the game. And I love that level of detail. And I can imagine how much time gets put into contingencies that might not ever happen. And if you're really proud of this thing you put into cyberpunk and nobody ever does it, you're kind of like, come on, somebody discovered this thing that I made. Yeah, yeah, you're just waiting. One of my favorite things was in my second playthrough, I did a very, there's a, there's a main mission where you have an interaction with somebody and you're kind of limited in what you can do. But there is a side mission that if you do first, you can basically go into this mission and you can say, you heard what happened to so-and-so, that was me. And that changes the conversation. But there's no indication of that. There's no indication that these two things are connected. There's, they do all these little things. It actually reminded me of Red Dead and how good Red Dead Redemption was at making that world feel real. So Arthur would just be walking along and you'll meet somebody and that will lead you to this other thing. Because the stranger quests in Red Dead Redemption 2, I think, are some of the most rich and incredible storytelling in that game. Yeah, there's some really weird stuff in there. But you have to play for a while and you have to go into parts of the map that aren't really populated sometimes to find them. You just have to explore. And I think Cyberpunk was the same. And I think because The Witcher was this enormous game that it was incredibly easy to drop 100 hours into... And Cyberpunk also had, was probably one of the most hyped up games ever. It was definitely the most hyped up game of the current console generation. 
It had Keanu all over it, too. It had Keanu (laughs) all over it. I mean, every time you heard about the game, there was more hype. Yeah. And And then... yeah, sometimes COVID weird did. stuff too. There's a penis slider apparently in this game, <laughs> and I don't mean like a slider. small hamburger. I mean uh, there is apparently the ability to customize so many elements of your created character. I don't know where your genitalia becomes relevant to the game because I imagine that most characters are like Barbie dolls where they don't really have that. You just kind of walk around and you got built-on pants, but. I guess that's relevant at some point. I mean, maybe it throws the hitbox off that having a giant penis makes it easier to hit. I don't know. You know I think it's, it's relevant in the way... I think this is this very interesting thing, right? I think CG Project Red was like, well, we're going to give people the ability to be who they want to be. And so you only see your character in like two or three parts of the game or when you look into a mirror. So... Which I'm like, that's fair. Like, you know, that's how real world is. That's how real life is. So I get that. But I think they wanted to give people the opportunity to make characters that A, had their bits, <laughs> or B, had the bits that maybe they wanted. And I think it's it was a really cool thing, except that they kind of dropped the ball because they don't give you a pronoun choice. Oh, they don't. And so, whenever your voice choice is, is the pronoun people call you. And at first, I was like, "Well, that's not going to be a big deal." But the the game is literally peppered with people calling you Mister or Mrs. And I'm like, "You spent all this time designing two different penises at with a slider and a vagina <laughs> and pubic hair, and you didn't think that maybe adding a third gender option." was should be something you also did <laughs> no, i think you know a pronoun be more important and relevant into the game than the actual penis because i mean i imagine Absolutely. you're not going to see genitalia that often in this video game. <laughs> you you see it more than you've probably ever seen it before but yeah i mean i think the the, the pronoun thing is kind of it's very much in keeping with the thing, the game needed another year of development. Like that's mm-hmm. completely clear to me. It needed another year of development. I wish they had just, when it wasn't going to come out in April, they should have just said, hey, we're delaying this. We'll let you know when it's coming out. I think that's the one thing that Microsoft has done with Halo Infinite where that was smart because it keeps the pressure down a little bit. But then, I guess I, I guess this is kind of the ugly intersection of of capitalism and art, which is that you release unfinished things because you have these deadlines and you're so afraid of losing momentum rather than releasing a created, completed you know piece of art rather than oh my god, I gotta get something out. Don't worry, just squint your eyes and pretend that's finished, and then it'll eventually will be. Um, yeah. And then the weird yeah. thing is that the it, it's not a, a an established franchise in the same way that say Fallout or you know Elder Scrolls or Witcher is, so people with an unfinished game are going to be a lot more merciless with you. Well, and people also had really stupid expectations. Like people were mad that it wasn't GTA, a GTA Five experience, and I'm like, no. And anybody that's ever played Cyberpunk would know. That that's not what cyberpunk is. I I, I, mean, I, I want to believe that the that the furor, the uproar over 
um, pe- the hype and people's expectations was one of the many things that were amplified by us being in the middle of quarantine, right? I agree. I mean, what else I do agree. we have Completely. to focus our attention to? I, I can't. There, there is the element. You're right, Mike. There is the element of like this is capitalism, and so this creates these things where you've got to say like, well, we got to pressure the studio to say this is going to be our launch date, and this is what we're going to include. Um, it's it's clear, Joe. You said it like, hey, ten years ago they were making open world games that had this that was the same shitty stuff that was happening and they because they just launched it without it being really actually done and i feel bad for the for the people who worked on it because uh think about the intense pressure they were under i mean this game sold like fucking crazy but uh the intense pressure they were under for like a decade and they're basically for them to basically saying, well, we're going to force you to put out a game that you know to be broken because I don't, yeah. be- I don't yeah. believe it was lazy developers that were the problem. <laughs> no, I, if oh, anything God, else, no. these people are worked like, like dogs. I mean, the, 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 the stories that we've heard of, of studios that just go completely under, I forget what was it like Rockstar Bondi, the people who made LA Noir, they basically just broke a bunch of people to the degree that the studio fell apart. And that's why we're probably never going to get a sequel to a pretty cool game is that we have this, I mean, you, you look at just the different mediums that you have for creating stories and art and video games, a lot like comic books is one of the more exploitative ones that you don't get this sort of work conditions, even under film. Because you actually have unions there. But in video games, it's like, no, you're going to work 16-hour days. And at the end of it, you're not going to get much money or credit. And maybe this visionary person gets all the credit and we get all the money. But we're still – you're doing this. And this is, I think, that when you're working in a creative field, the really ugly way that a lot of of corporations work people, which is – it's a privilege to work on in a, in a field that you liked as a kid. It's a privilege. So you should be thanking us for treating you this way. And I think the video game industry, from what I've heard, is one of the most egregious of that in terms of oh, how yeah. little credit you do for the, the work that you have to do and the level at which you're not just tolerated for saying, hey, how about I not work 17 hours a day and I might be able to uh, seem yeah. like my newborn I think the interesting thing about the rage surrounding Cyberpunk 2077 was you had the camp that was like, all right, CD Projekt Red, you told us you weren't like Rockstar, like you weren't like Ubisoft, you weren't like these game studios that basically are constantly working under crunch, working people 100-hour weeks, doing all this shady, awful, exploit, exploitative shit to your employees. And then we find out that you are. And then we find out that not only did you force your employees to crunch work six days, six day weeks to meet this goal, but you knew, you knew that the game was underperforming on the majority of systems that were out there because CD Projekt Red tried to do this thing where it was like, well, we were developing for the PS5. And it's like, that's funny. Nobody has one. And in case you haven't noticed, the pandemic has made it nearly impossible to get one. So why were you doing that? And if you knew that was the case, why didn't you protect your employees and push this back? Well, it's because of your bottom line. Because you wanted to get a 9.0 score. You wanted to launch because of, that's what you're basing your bonuses on. And so people were all like very, very rightfully upset about that. That is some 
straight, like I said before, that is unacceptable. It's, it's, it's bad enough that you crunched your employees. It's made worse. It's insult to injury because you knew the game wasn't ready and you released it anyway. Yeah. Cause they got to make their then, money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But then there's the, the camp that's like, well, the game is garbage because it isn't Grand Theft Auto or it isn't the Witcher or it isn't this, that or the other thing, or it's buggy. And that I'm like, have you ever played a video game before? Like 90% of these AAA titles really, I mean, the first Red Dead Redemption was buggy as all hell. You had people walking around with the heads of animals floating around. You had shit popping in and moving out, textures not loading. This is part and parcel with the AAA industry. This is what happens. Mm-hmm. And that part, and then those people are the ones that are going to the devs, which are these poor people that have already, they have already watched this thing that they've worked on for the last six to eight years. Be pushed out the door. They know it's not ready. They've given up a huge chunk of their life to develop it. And now they're getting death threats from these assholes that are just so entitled. And yeah, it was absolutely exacerbated by COVID. But it's like, hey, nobody owes you a goddamn thing, gamers. All right? Yeah, I mean, and you know, unless you it, pre-ordered it, which, to be honest, is not is really a drop in the bucket. It's not like you had any a real investment other than whatever investment they just decided they had in it emotionally, which is not, yeah. they weren't born. You weren't born with it. You weren't born with a tattoo that said you have to be cyberpunk 2077 defender on the Internet. You just chose <laughs> this, chose this for yourself. I, I, I'll say there's there's lots of the the way I, I put it is I'm sure that they, they all of their good hard work will be redeemed later. If No Man's Sky is any indication, sometimes the sort of the big corporate driven hype train can do really, really bad things to a game on launch. But if you have people that are dedicated to keep working on it, you can deliver something that is just as good as you as you promised it. So if they can hold on to those people, I'm sure Cyberpunk 2077 three years from now will be very, very different and uh, very much more whole and complete. And my thing always with these projects is um, these come around once in a great while, ones that are sort of this big and this hyped because the big studios that are able to do these can only do so many of them at once. Um, yeah. What What is the, the, uh, the side effect of this is so a lot of these people who are developers – I I am optimistic because these developers, some of them are going to downshift and they're going to say, I can't do this, right? Like I'm in my 20s or early 30s. I can't do this indefinitely. So it's the times when you get us the uh, like developers who sort of break off uh, and other creative, creative members who break off and form their own small studios that do the stuff that's really innovative and interesting because they decide, yeah. I don't want to do this crunch bullshit. I just can't stand it anymore. Um, and I'm sure out of the Cyberpunk 2077 group of people, I'm sure there are going to be a hundred small studios that have been developed. And I'm sure there's going to be a hundred also interesting things that will come of that. I I agree completely. If you look at things like the Outer World, which was the same, which was I think Obsidian who did Fallout New Vegas, yeah, mm-hmm. which is a wonderfully written, beautifully uh, illustrated and designed game that's very anti-capitalist, and uh, they did a great job with that. And it may it was critically well received, it was commercially well received, and that was a small studio, and it wasn't a huge game. But it did a lot of really cool things. You had uh, a person that was both queer and asexual 
I'm asexual as part of queerness, but, you know, LGBTQ, uh, you had really good representation in general. Um, there, there was just a lot of good stuff in that game. And that wasn't, that's not a huge studio. And as a matter of fact, if you look at what the huge studios, I think people are getting less and less willing to put up with their shit. Especially you have studios like Ubisoft that are getting ready to move Ubisoft. Maybe it's Ubisoft. Who cares? They, um, they're they're going to be like, well, we're going to stop developing so many AAA games and we're going to start making free-to-play games because that's where you really, you know, make your money when you want to be shady as all hell. Uh, oh, with microtransactions? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, it takes good. forever to grind to get anything even vaguely playable, but hey, if you give me 20 bucks now, you'll actually get a decent gun. Yeah, <laughs> but then look at the Avengers. Avengers fucking tanked. And that was beautiful to watch because it was so clearly a cash grab. And I played the beta. I played the, the beta, the demo. And I didn't even finish. That's how bad this fucking game was. I did not even finish it. And it was free. I, paid about, I played about 20 minutes of it. And I was like, this is garbage. This is only, this, the only reason this game exists is to set up microtransactions. And I want nothing to do with it. I hate the character design. I hate, it's like, you couldn't even be bothered to get the likeness rights. You're working yeah. with this huge property and you could not even be bothered. And it's because Disney probably saw what you were doing and they were like, well, go ahead. We'll take your money to use the Avengers title, but we don't want to be associated with this. It wouldn't be the first time that Marvel or DC was like, oh, okay, you can have our license to make a shitty product. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We've all learned that I mean, the yeah. hard way. They're, they're practiced at it. They're very practiced at it. And it's hilarious to me because that game was out a year and people were already talking. I mean, it failed almost as quickly as Anthem did. Oh, and, I didn't even know that it came out. Ooh. Anthem, yeah, Anthem that's, that's, that's rough. That's rough. There's, it's, yeah. This is the one thing that I think about those. I don't know what you call them. I think Destiny is a series that's in this same, uh, this sort of same, whether, whether or not. They are like co-op loot shooters, I guess. Is that what you, how would you describe them? I would call them, yeah. I would call them loot shooters. I I think Destiny did, I'm a big Destiny fan. I played Destiny 2 for like probably six months straight. I was playing with my friends. I thought the Bungie team was really open to the community's um, suggestions. They did a really good job of like, okay, hey, listen, we've seen where this is where the problems are. This is what we're going to do. Here are the phases we're going to do it in. And they really, that game was a ton of fun. It really tackled a lot of the problems with like Call of Duty. So like you can't talk to people that aren't on your team. On your, you have a fire team of three people. And that's, those are the only people you can talk to. Which is a real great way to get around this horrible horrible the homophobic racist garbage that happens in a lot of these shooters that, that is so that's think, so fascinating because uh i'm sorry to interrupt but i, I have to before I, I forget a a previous uh uh guest of our show um was just i was talking to him on the uh like on the text message because i we're not seeing anybody um and his his spouse is non-binary he has a non-binary spouse and their job is to um is and in like as basically they did their um postgraduate work about inclusivity and reduction of toxicity in games in gaming essentially and the uh 
the sort of the, the through line and they're working for Microsoft now. Um, the through line for this um, this sort of process is all the toxicity you associate with online games, uh, be, whether it's being on chat or griefing or whether it be in chat rooms and discord or whatever, all of that toxicity is something that is a, a basically a switch or a toggle that a developer that a well-designed game can either ameliorate or can make worse. Um, so it's not right. it's not just the case that oh, if you have a first-person shooter, there's just going to be a bunch of dicks who are going to come in and make people feel like shit to boot them off because that's what they get their jollies. No, you actually. You can design, and not just designing like, oh, well, you're not going to hear these guys or whatever. I mean, you can design your tabletop role-playing game systems to find ways to include, to discourage certain types of behavior. That it's merely a question of design, less than it is yeah. like, an, like an, oh, well, we've got to put up with it. I'm kind of surprised. I, I know that back in the day, Valve, when they did both of the Left for Dead games, had some mechanics built into those games to get away from that stuff. Um like the the Left 4 Dead games, that's sort of a zombie shooter. They they basically had a mechanic where you had to stick close to your teammates and you had to protect each other because there were just some attacks that you couldn't defend against. And they put a lot of things into the game to really discourage the the big asshole move, which is to run ahead in the level, grab all the good stuff, set off all the traps, and then finish the the thing. So that other people couldn't enjoy the game and they would set it up in such a way that you actually put yourself at tremendous risk and wouldn't get that much out of running ahead and taking all the stuff and being a selfish dick um, and that you might need those other people to protect you. And one of the things I enjoyed is I remember playing in Left 4 Dead 2 in the multiplayer mode. And of course, you could only talk to your own team. So... Uh, one team plays zombies, the other team plays the survivors. And I was on team zombie for that round and you can see through walls and you have a, a greater idea of what's going on in the level and are able to move around it clearly than the survivors are. So you can actually see what's happening with the survivors on the other side of the map, even through walls. And I remember that there was a guy on the other team that was running ahead and setting all that stuff off. And we're just kind of laying in wait. We're going, what a fucking asshole. We were like talking amongst ourselves and going, that guy's a real dick. Let's fucking kill him. <laughs> um, so we're all playing these, these various special zombies and we see the guy coming and we're like, let's all go for that one guy who's way ahead of the others. And we, like, one of the spitters shoots acid at him. And I think I, I'm the, the smoker. So I grab him with my tongue and the other guys just clawing at him and vomits. Um, Zombie attracting gunk on him. Zombie, and Zombie juice. Yeah, we are just <laughs> destroying this guy. And then his team c catches up with him, and you see them stand there for a second and then just pass him by while we're <laughs> killing him. And I, I don't know what strange. they were saying to each other, but um, I think on some level they kind of – it's like everyone just sort of accepted this guy was a dick. And there are ways to explain it where there's a lot of these games where – there just isn't that if you're just slightly better than everyone else and that you're shitty to people on your team who might not be up to your standard of how you should play this game. Um, there's really no punishment. There's, there's right. this really kind of gatekeepery asshole griefing garbage that makes it impossible for other people to learn the game or enjoy the game unless they become that person too. 
And I, there are ways, you know, to build it right into the DNA of the game to go, I don't want this game to be like that. And developers just have to choose that, or at least the very least make it an option because, you know, let those people have their shitty little corner of the, the server, but let other people play. Because, I mean, one of the things that I found often on a lot of Red Dead Redemption 2 online is some people just exist to be shitty. And I don't oh, really yeah. know what they get out of that. I remember back in WoW, when I played WoW right after I first moved up here, so this would have been about 15 years ago, um, there were people that would just hang out in the noob areas and like the where the new, the new players started, just so that they could slaughter them because they thought it was funny. Yeah. Because they were like, they were at the level cap. And it's just like, whatever, dude. Like, you're not, I'm sorry that nobody likes you in real life. Like, I, I, I'm not, but this is probably why, because you think this shit is funny. And, I mean, it was such a big problem that South Park did a, um, South Park made an episode about it, you know? Like, it was yeah. a big enough issue yeah. so that, I, and I, I think this is part and part of why I very rarely, the only reason I played Destiny online was because I could play with my friends and they were the only ones I could talk to because we were in... I don't even know that you can, you, I think you might have to be invited through whatever online service you're using. So like I could talk to the people that invited me through my, through PlayStation plus because I would partner with strangers to do things and they wouldn't be able to talk to me. You had to use like emotes. There was no chat feature. There's no voice feature unless you authorize it. And I'm like, that's great. That's the way games should be because you don't need to talk to the opposite team. But no. I really think that like, Call of Duty and a lot of these online games, that's their fan base and they know it and they don't want to alienate them mm -hmm. because really it's just, those games are just jingoism in digital form. Yeah, <laughs> there's, like, there's that, but it's also, there's a kind of nasty, ugly culture that has been allowed to exist in them where people are yeah. just shitty to other people that being yeah, shitty to other yeah. people in online games is the point. There's, there's really no purpose to it aside from knowing that you're making another person angry and that <laughs> I bought a game and this person's going to make sure I don't have fun playing it. And yeah. I mean, I get that there's games that are competitive. That's part of it. But some people just go out of their way to make sure that not only am I losing, but I'm upset about it. And yeah, yeah. it just makes me not want to play. And the thing is with bullies, and this is this is actually how Nazis operate in a lot of these, is that you show up, you make people distinctly uncomfortable to the degree that they don't come back. And now this space is only populated by people like yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. That's what is that? There's a, there's a tweet that goes around, or maybe it's an Instagram post where this guy was like, talking about he was like in San Francisco or something and he walked into this kind of like gutter punk bar and he ordered a beer and the bartender didn't say didn't say anything to him just barely even acknowledged he was there and then this guy came in and said the bar and the bartender looked at him and said oh no no you get out right now you get out and the guy was like I'm not even doing anything and the guy was like no get out of here right now I'm not serving you and the guy left and the bartender just turned to the guy who's making the, the post and because he had a look on his face and he's like, he's one of those proud boys. 
And you got to get them out of here because if they come and you let them stay here, they'll bring their friends. And pretty soon they're the only ones that come around because they'll drive out everybody else. Yeah, you get a Nazi bar like, then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, you got to shut that shit down and you got to shut it down hard. It's like, you know what? Yeah. You're griefing players. You don't get to play this game anymore. You can play it offline. You, you can make all the excuses you want and say, oh, well, they're behaving themselves. They seem to be okay. Yeah, he's wearing a Nazi pin or he's got an SS or 88 tattoo on his neck or whatever. You're like, I don't want to start anything. I don't want to get into a fight. But the thing is, next time he brings his friend, his friend seems to be on his best behavior. I'm uncomfortable with him. And then pretty soon the whole bar is made up of that. And yeah, that exactly. civility goes out the, the door real fucking fast once they feel like they have a... a I guess they could have a, a landing point and they feel like this is ours now. Then they start getting real fucking aggressive. And that's the thing with the internet space as opposed to places like that bar, which is that I can't punch that guy in the actual face when I'm playing Red Dead Redemption 2 and he's just following me around just trying to ruin my day. I mean, I'll quit. I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of getting angry. I'll just go, okay, it's a bad time to play right now. But it's it's one of those things where I'm like, fuck these people, you know? In real life, I could just, if pushed to a certain extent, just punch him in the face, and he'd decide, wow, this isn't worth it. This is right. not fun anymore, because there's consequences to this. And usually that's what makes Nazis go away in real life. Uh, but the thing is with making a shitty – and the mentality – I'm not going to say that everyone who's shitty on the internet on video games is a Nazi. I, I want to be clear of that right now. Yeah, but I think the mentality that draws you to one draws you to the other. Or is it – it's Godwin's law. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah. They're not necessarily a Nazi, but they're definitely – the bully, the bully thing – that is the thing that Nazis grab onto. It's the thing yeah, that makes yeah, people absolutely. want to initially get in there. I feel aggrieved. I feel angry and powerless. And hey, this group gave me someone to blame. And it makes me feel strong knowing that I can make someone else upset or scared. And well, they and just, think, yeah. they, they pull in on that. And then you yeah. walk away with a whole new ideology over time that they usually move in kind of slowly on that, usually through edgelord bullshit jokes. Uh, which serve the purpose of desensitizing you to hearing racist shit because, oh, it's for the lulls. It's all ironic. And eventually it's not. Yeah. You don't have to be a Nazi to be a dick, but all Nazis are dicks. Yes. I think is what you're saying. <laughs> there is no good person Nazi, you know? Yeah, exa yeah exactly. All exactly. Nazi faces but, are for punching. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's, there's uh, Vinny and then... Um, <laughs> we have to put up the counter, Mike, is like the, how many minutes... There's going to be like a Godwin's counter for every one of our shows, <laughs> where how many minutes have to elapse before we start talking about... <laughs> how Nazis are pieces of shit and we like I think it might specifically be <laughs> the time when Mike first utters the phrase punch a Nazi and then ding and then we need to write down that time and we need to give oh, it, <laughs> it feels like we used to live in a world where it was just a given but now it's not yeah. you look at and like somebody puts up a cutscene on YouTube from like a sequel to Wolfenstein and people are getting angry on behalf of Hitler and the way the disrespectful <laughs> yeah, way he's being portrayed. Yeah. I'm like, who the fuck are all these people that are suddenly angry about this fucking asshole with syphilis who <laughs> murdered millions of people? It's oh, like we feel bad for this piece of shit. You want to talk about a fucking edge lord? You, I, I think I've talked about this before. 
I highly recommend Robert Evans behind the bastards podcast, especially his Hitler episodes, because holy shit, that dude is every like bad internet trope rolled into one. He wore like leather shorts with suspenders. He made people call him Mr. Wolf. Like he was just such a like, he was just all of those tropes rolled into one. It's, it is astounding. It is completely not, it is, it demystifies why all these fucking neckbeards are into him. Because but it also Hitler him. also has the uh, the failed artist thing, where a lot of these people yeah. on the far right usually started out wanting to do something else. Like, uh, what was it? Like Ben Shapiro wanted to be a movie producer, and he fucking failed at that. Oh shit! No. You, sorry, you just hit the jackpot. This was the word of the day. If this were Pee Wee's Playhouse, we'd be going. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just it was it's it is right wing movie producer. So. I'm sure you and our audience remember a man by the name of Jack Abramoff. Mm-hmm. Do you know what yeah. ja- Jack Abramoff and Jack Abramoff and his brother, who I believe was named John or Sam or something like that, uh, something yeah. like something like Jack. Uh, Jack Abramoff has a um, has a sole producer. A, a, excuse, excuse me, a screenwriter credit uh, for a movie that was made in 1988, I believe it was, and that is Jack Abramoff and his brother are the authors of. 1988's Red Scorpion, starring Dolph Lundgren and M. Emmett Walsh. Um, oh, Lord. oh my God! And that's—I hope that they're partners and they're cops. <laughs> no, what? No, Red Scorpion. He Dolph Lundgren plays a Spetsnaz commando badass from Soviet Union who is helping oppress a a fictional African country, and uh, he is. He is told to go in like covertly and try to infiltrate and kill a charismatic leader, a populist leader. And instead he runs into trouble and falls in with a an American journalist played by M. Emmett Walsh, walking sack of la- sack of dirty laundry, M. Emmett Walsh. Oh, and the yeah. other actor who I'm not, I'm not sure, just a uh, a guy who's sort of also an African freedom fighter. And they sort of te- hit that this along with a, a vision quest that involves being stung by a scorpion and then befriending a bushman and then later drinking scorpion juice, like scorpion venom. He becomes reborn uh, to be a fighter for democracy. And the entire thing was financed by, not the entire thing, but the majority was financed by a right-wing group that Jack Abramov um, created in South Africa to try to delegitimize the ANC, under oh. the guise of anti-communism, and so they financed this totally, ri- utterly ridiculous Dolph Lundgren movie, which was his first movie after his next movie after He Master or He Man Masters of the Universe. Um, so he was already on top of the world because of Rocky Four, and then it's like Masters of the Universe, and it's like, oh my god, like he's not the next Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know? Like it's really hard to get him to emote. And so he does Red Scorpion, which is the uh, like the wet dream of right wing nineteen eighties action movie propaganda. It's it, it oh is Lord. a it is a shockingly bad. It's a, it's a pretty boring movie. It's got they put the money on the screen to have all the explosions and stuff, and they they mocked up their own version of like a Soviet Heinz helicopter, which is kind of the big. There's no real heavy in the movie. Brian James plays like a Soviet commander or something who doesn't like Dolph Lundgren but the real heavy in the actual movie is just a helicopter that every so often just lays waste to these poor these poor innocent villages that of course only serve to make 
Dolph Lundgren distrust, uh, you know, the Soviets even more. Um, but it's, oh. it, I, I could think. So I, it's like the movie Duel, where it's just a faceless vehicle that's coming after people. Basically, yeah. This, uh, but I was like, I had just one arm out of the side of the helicopter. Who's the, who's the. Duel 2. Who's the, is there a Duel 2? What? No. <laughs> but okay, you, you had me for a second. Well, how great would it be if that movie started life as the script for Duel 2 and it was about a helicopter that was chasing somebody? Oh my god, that's a that is a movie I would watch. Oh my god. It's it's like uh it's like you know Steve Bannon was like trying to make weird sci-fi movies in Hollywood and that was sort of his yes. thing. Eventually they move on from that dream cuz they're not very good at it obviously, and so they yeah. have to do something that requires less scruples and less talent. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that if you want to make money really fast, be an angry, bigoted uh, <laughs> uh, internet personality. Honestly, there is yeah, so much yeah. money in it because not only do you get the clicks from awful chuds on the internet, you'll also get the clicks from all the YouTube personalities who exist just to demolish you and yeah. uh, and all the hate clicks that you'll get, which is why yeah. no matter what you do on YouTube, if you want to just go, I just want to watch a bunch of videos about Lord of the Rings or Marvel Comics, no matter what you click, eventually the majority of the things in your recommended uh, column are just right-wing bullshit that's screaming about how a girl got in my Star Wars. And it's just, it's there's an industry. I've, I've heard it referred to as the man baby industrial complex i've heard it called a lot of things but it, it seems like it just becomes onboarding for eventual richard spencer material this this actually leads me into a really weird and interesting thing in keeping with the youtube thing the uh, theme which is in pandemic me and and kirby my wife we have discussed my wife we have uh discussed, i have to do it now it just feels weird if i don't um, we have discovered that all these blogs uh, uh and what they, they're vlogs and what they are is single japanese office ladies just making recordings of like what they do when they get off of work what they do on their day off what they eat for like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They're, they're making like New Year's, what they would traditionally make for New Year's or what they would traditionally make for their birthday. Or they talk about their skincare routine. And it is fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating because I have managed to avoid, I use YouTube a lot, but I only go for very certain things and I do not watch random videos because I am so worried that that algorithm is going to catch up with me. So like mm -hmm. I watch, I have like three people that I watch uh, video game videos on like video game journalism. They are all left leaning and have good politics. I watch Lindsay Ellis videos. I watch ContraPoints videos and I watch these, I watch things like uh, art restoration and tool <laughs> restoration. Uh, I watch street food videos. There is like so much good content on YouTube and I have managed to avoid the algorithm. I have never, ever seen Reddit somehow has started recommending our conservative to me, but my YouTube mm. feed is still pristine and beautiful. But I think with, with YouTube, so, thankfully, a lot of those people have very recognizable thumbnails for their videos. And you just yes. have to go to the little, the little three dots 
for settings and just say do not recommend channel. And you can <laughs> tell right off the bat, like, it's usually like, oh, there's a girl in this Star Wars movie, so it's going to fall apart. Or, you know, oh, the SJWs are trying to destroy X. And it's just like, wow, thank you for... Thank you for making your your thumbnail so obvious so that I don't give you a click on accident. Yeah, yeah. Because there are so I, many of them. There's an industry of it. And it really, it's frustrating because I just think of the fact that we've been doing this show for, I think we're on... Nine years? This is like our... Ninth year? Ah, it's getting, it's almost nine. I think we're on our eighth year right now. Okay. And... um it's it's hard to get this stuff going that if you're doing sort of creative pop culture anything it's kind of hard to get this stuff going but it just feels like the fastest way to go there i mean maybe it's uh the it's a yoda speech but you know it's it's quicker easier it's based on anger um but there's money there's money in that kind of bullshit there's a lot of people that that want to just entirely base their identity off of getting angry about people invading their safe spaces of, you know, stuff they liked when they were a kids or getting angry again, that stuff that they're nostalgic for uh, is more diverse or is more political than they remember it as a kid. Because when you're a kid, all that shit goes over your head. Here's the thing. All art is political. All of it is. Yeah. And there's no getting around that, that when you have a story that has good guys and bad guys, you're saying something about who you make the good guys and who you make the bad guys. When, like, the Red Skull is a bad guy in Captain America comics, and he's a fucking Nazi, the the people who created it, Joe Simon and uh, Jack Kirby, they're saying something about Nazis. Because yeah. when the Captain America was first created, that was pre-Pearl Harbor. We were not in World War II yet. And uh, they wanted to say something, and that thing was fuck Nazis, and uh, every they got death threats for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Every time I hear somebody say, "Why are you gonna make? Why are you gonna make video games political? Why are you gonna make movies political?" I hear Slavov Zizek in my head going, "Ideology." <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it's always been political, and I yeah, think the thing like, with the the poisonous thing with nostalgia though is that it's. It's not just a desire to go back to a simpler time. It's a desire to go back to a time when you were simpler. When stuff like this, yeah. you'd watch an episode of Star Trek where an alien had a half white face and half black face. And when you're a child, that goes over your head. But when you're an adult, you're like, okay, I clearly see what they're talking about here. This is an episode about racism. Um, yeah. And what they want yeah. is they want to be able to consume art but have it affect them in the way that it did when they were six. And it's just impossible because you're not six anymore. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that oftentimes I, so I just played Bioshock again because oh, um, nice. I wanted to play, I wanted to play Bioshock infinite. So I played that one first and then there, there was DLC since I played it a million years ago, which um, so, you know, Bioshock infinite takes place on Columbia, which is this floating city. And has to it's like a racist kind of Disneyland. Un- yeah. <laughs> it is like, yes, it is, it's basically, yes, racist Disneyland. And so um, you, in the DLC, it actually takes place on Rapture, which is the place where the first Bioshock game takes place and kind of sets up that. So I was like, well, I'm going to replay Bioshock. And the interesting thing to me is that in Bioshock, I really love that game because spoilers for a like 15 year old game uh you get to kill an objectivist and a capitalist fuckhead megalomaniac megalomaniac 
Yeah. Which is really, it's like a twofer, right? Because <laughs> uh, the, the guy, the person you think is the initial bad guy is like, I mean, Andrew Ryan and, you know, Ayn Rand, it's, it's a little close. Yeah. And that's not by accident. But then, you know, then the backup bad guy is just doesn't, he's just, you know, your typical American businessman who doesn't give a shit about anything but his, his checking account. So that's very satisfying. But in Bioshock Infinite, the bad guy is basically like, you know, your typical American Republican politician. But then the other bad guy are the people that are fighting against him. And I'm like, no, that's, you can't do that. Because <laughs> one of these people are fighting for basic human rights. And one is fighting to keep them oppressed and under the boot heel of his regime. And those, those are not... Those are not equivalent things. And it was it was kind of frustrating going back through and playing Bioshock Infinite again and realizing now, looking back on six months of protests about, uh, you know, police brutality against people of color, especially against the black community and, you know, just everything that I've learned since playing that game initially and being like, this is a really fucked up message. You're equivocating these two things when one people are literally only fighting because they have no rights. Yeah. And you're putting them on the same level. And that's a misstep, 2K. Yeah, it's that's, it's a certain that. sort of... It pops up a lot, and certainly this is the, the, the thing with, you know, a lot of art created by liberals is that liberals have this um, attitude sometimes where they're in the sort of center and they get to decide who is and isn't reasonable. And you're like, there's a lot of the, the talk and it, it infiltrates a lot of, even a lot of stuff that I like where they're like, Oh, you're going to lower yourself to their level. And I'm like, if Batman kills the Joker, he's just as bad as a Joker. And I'm like, no, he's not. If Batman yeah. killed the Joker, um, you're like, oh, you still have the same number of murderers. And I'm like, no, you don't. You have one, <laughs> you, have, you have a different number of murder victims, certainly. Because if Batman kills the Joker, you have a guy who killed one person who probably killed a million fucking people. And on the other hand, you have a guy who killed one person and probably won't kill again. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not the same thing. It's the same thing like, oh, well, if you throw a a bottle at the cops. You're just as bad as a cops. Well, maybe not until I kill a bunch of people and never get in trouble for it. And I do that like a thousand fucking times. <laughs> then I will have lowered myself to the police level because yeah, I can legalize yeah. my own, my own violence, but no, it's not the same thing. And I think that there's that kind of attitude that you see a lot like, Oh, well, you're not going to, it's, you're like, no, it's not the same thing until I do that. Oh, well, if you punch a Nazi, you're just as bad as a Nazi. You're like, well, maybe when I start advocating genocide, I'll be as bad as the Nazi. <laughs> maybe right, when, exactly. All right, maybe when Mike, the target of my violence is an innocent bystander for, for their own inherent uh, qualities. I'm attacking somebody because of their race, attacking them because of their gender, because of their religion. Um, then I'm the bad guy, as opposed to I'm attacking a person who attacks people based on those things. I, yeah. you know, it's a, we see this with the death of Rush Limbaugh. Rest in piss, you piece of shit. Um, <laughs> then people are like, oh well, if you were disrespectful to him after you're died, you're just as bad as him. No, well maybe if I used a national media platform where I had access to tens of millions of listeners every day and encourage them to hate on and shit on marginalized, vulnerable people, 
then yeah, I'd be as bad as Rush Limbaugh. But instead, if I'm just attacking one dead rich asshole who did nothing but hate people and profit from it his entire fucking life and make people's parents worse and ruin the relationships between kids and their parents over and over and over again. Only when I achieve that will I have lowered myself to the level of Rush Limbaugh. So we shouldn't just go, oh, all violence is equal. We just, you know, the only way that you can uh, properly respond to evil is to look into the middle distance and have a single tear go down your cheek. All the while people are still getting killed. It's like, no, fuck you. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I think what Paul Paul F. Tompkins had the best quote about Rush Limbaugh, which is, if I had to say something positive about Rush Limbaugh, it would be, I get that he lived long enough to get cancer and die from it. <laughs> yeah, and I can say this as as a cancer survivor. Um, I was rooting for cancer, and I don't. That's a I, that's a hard one for me. That's like a Doctor Doom Reed Richards team up. Um, where my, I'm like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, uh, I remember finding out he had terminal cancer. My first thought was, um, well, cancer got a better agent. <laughs> 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 we want to send a special thank you to our episode sponsors who support us on Patreon. Uh, we have uh, quite a few of them now, and it's actually kind of shocking how many of you guys have stuck with us. It's very humbling. So special thank you to Larry Brunswick, Margaret King, Tim Batson, Dan Nidecker, Don Tuvey, Tom the Belgian, Zuri Russell, Wim the Barbarian, Calzone, Jem Newman, Carol and Dave Brulette, Misa the Barbarian, James Brucker, Gus Lindgren, and Sterling Taylor. So we want to say thank you guys so much. So um, thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll catch you guys next month. Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at radioversusthemartians.com. Martians.com.